So Genesis chapter 41, last week we saw Joseph interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker. And Joseph says to the butler, he says, in three days, right, he would be restored to his former position. And to the baker, he, Joseph said, in three days, I got some bad news for, for you, buddy, you're going to be hanged. And uh, sure enough, it happened just as Joseph said. Joseph asked the butler, knowing that he would be in Pharaoh's presence within the next three days, he asked him, hey, when you're standing there next to Pharaoh, would you mind letting him know about my story? I'm, uh, I, don't, I, didn't do, deserve any, I didn't do anything to deserve being put in prison here. And would you uh, help to get me released? But the butler forgot all about Joseph. And last week, we saw last week how that was actually God's doing. Joseph wasn't in the place where God could release him because the timing wasn't yet right. We talked about God, uh, you know, he had the right man and he had the right man in the right place, but the timing wasn't right, it, at least not yet. And you know, to me, it's, it's a lesson for, for me to remember. It's a lesson that we should remember, I think. When someone says, hey, you know, I'm going to do this for you, and they don't come through, they don't do it, maybe instead of getting angry, maybe we should consider that they have experienced something like a divine amnesia, right? Maybe they really wanted to help us out, but God had another plan. God had a better plan. And if Joseph was set free from prison, we talked about it last week, if he was set free from prison, when the butler was restored, there's no doubt in my mind that he would have ran out of Egypt just as fast as he could have gone, and uh, he would have ran home. He wouldn't be available interpret, to interpret Pharaoh's dreams in this chapter. Uh, you know, he would not have been there in Egypt to be raised up to the position of sec the second most powerful man in all the world in order to save God's people, in order to preserve the bloodline of the Messiah. And we can't forget Psalm 105. Psalm 105 says that the Lord sent Joseph before Jacob and his family into Egypt. And Joseph, he probably didn't feel sent. <laughs> I imagine Joseph, he probably felt more like, you know, I was sold into slavery and I was drugged against my will to Egypt, you know, but God had other plans. And now between chapter 40 of Genesis and chapter 41, two years have passed and Joseph is still in prison. Verse one, Genesis chapter 41, verse one. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. So Pharaoh sees himself in this dream He's standing by a river, and undoubtedly, uh, you know, the, the river that he's standing by, of course, is the Nile River. That's where he sees himself. And uh, verse 2, suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And if you had, uh, you know, cows, that's the way I'm sure you want to see them. I mean, you want fine-looking cows, you want fat cows. But this is a very common scene, right? The cows would wade into the Nile 
to get some relief from the heat of the day and from the flies, and then they would come up onto the banks and graze a little. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. You know, Pharaoh, he sees these carnivorous cows. <laughs> you know how dreams can be, right? You know, imagine, you know, he sees these, this cow is eating another cow. He's chewing away, you know, and it looks over to Pharaoh and he mouths to him, you're next. You know, I, I just can imagine, right? Whatever he saw, I don't know, it was upsetting to him. And, and Pharaoh, he wakes up. It's kind of like, again, like a, a nightmare. And uh, he slept and he dreamed a second dream. These dreams, like I said, they're probably nightmares. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on a stalk, plump and good. Now, it's talking about wheat here, which is interesting because uh, you know, wheat had to do with Joseph's dreams too. But anyway, it's talking about wheat when it says grains, your, your uh, Bible might say uh, ears, you know, but it's talking about wheat. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke and indeed it was a dream. Now Pharaoh sees again these, this wheat eating wheat and again, dreams can just be crazy, can't they? I mean, they don't always make sense. And verse 8, now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. So Pharaoh understands that these dreams are not just ordinary dreams. They're not because, um, you know, he, he ate a bad pizza last night, you know. He senses that these dreams somehow have some sort of significance to them. And, and uh, someone is trying to tell him something. That's what Pharaoh kind of figures out. So Pharaoh sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. He calls all his boys. And you know what? We're just a few chapters away from Exodus. And Pharaoh's boys, I mean, they're trained in magic and in cultic practices. And, you know, they have some power. Remember, uh, Moses is going to throw down his rod and, you know, his boys are going to throw down their rods and they're both going to turn into snakes. Moses turns the Nile bloody and they're going to turn the Nile bloody, you know. And uh, Moses is going to call frogs and they're going to call frogs. At that time, I would have just said, hey, if you guys can't help, you know, just take a back seat, please. You know, you guys aren't helping here, right? But anyway, he calls these guys to, to interpret this dream but they can't do it. And there's a couple of reasons why they can't do it. It's because first, the dream came from God and not from uh, the dark side, not from their team. If it was de demonically inspired, you know, they'd have been able to tell uh, Pharaoh exactly what it meant. The other reason that they couldn't interpret the dream is that God has sovereignly ordained one particular man to interpret these dreams for God's purposes. So they're unable to do it. You have to give Pharaoh's guys a little credit here, though, that they don't try to bluff an interpretation. You know, at least they're honest to Pharaoh and just say, yeah, we don't have any idea. Uh, the interpretation of the dream is God's way of elevating Joseph now. 
second to Pharaoh. Verse 9, then the chief butler, again, he's uh, always near Pharaoh. He's listening to what's going on. He speaks to Pharaoh saying, I remember my false this day. It kind of feels a little bit bad. Now he remembers that he completely forgot about, uh, you know, the guy that interpreted his dreams. Joseph had been completely forgotten about his brothers. You know, by this time, he's probably been completely forgotten about Potiphar. He's been completely forgotten about by Potiphar's wife. The butler confesses that he's completely forgotten about Joseph, but God has not forgotten him. God's timing is right and it's perfect. And he brings Joseph to the butler's remembrance at this time. Joseph has been in Egypt for 13 years. And the majority of those years have been spent in prison. And we need to learn from Joseph that we can spend a lot of time being angry at our circumstances, being angry at people in the midst of our trials, or we can uh, recognize that it's the Lord that allows these things into our life for his sovereign purpose. Joseph could have never imagined when he woke that morning that this was the day that he would be released from prison. And not only that, but that he would be elevated to second only to Pharaoh. Unthinkable. We need to come to terms when we're facing difficulties, especially when those difficulties, you know, are those difficult times, those hardships, those trials, especially when they're prolonged, that our lives are in God's hands, right? All that, in spite of my circumstances, his promises are still true. He hears our prayers. He sees our situation. He knows our heart. And that his plan for our lives, we need to understand they're good plans. And we, you know, we, we need to learn to see our trials in light of what a great God we have, instead of see, seeing God in light of the great trials we have, right? Joseph has come to the point in time where his heart is right where God wants it to be. It was something that couldn't be learned in a seminary. It's, it was something that couldn't be learned at a prestigious university. God was working something in his heart that could only be birthed through difficulties. And there are trials that God allows into our life that will accomplish things in our life that can only be accomplished through the trial God has allowed. You know, I, I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like trials. But you know what? At the end of that trial, it's been my experience. Every time we look back, at that trial, in light of the fruit that came from that trial, you know, I would be willing to go through it again. If God would get the glory, um, yeah, I would be willing to go through it again. Verse 9, then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me in custody of the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man 
with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Now, it's interesting. You've got to notice this, right? He says, the butler says that Joseph restored him to his office. And it was Joseph that hanged the baker, right? And the reason why is during this time in Egypt, they believed that the person that could interpret the dream also had the power to make it come about. Basically, the butler is saying to Pharaoh, you know, I know, uh, I know a guy right here in Egypt that can interpret dreams, right? You know, when I was in prison, I met him, and he was, has a proven track record of interpreting dreams. He's like 100% on interpretations. We should get him to interpret your dreams. What do you think, Pharaoh? What do you, what do you think? In verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Again, Joseph wakes that morning. He's just preparing himself for another day in prison. You know, it's just another day like the last however many years. He has no idea what this day holds. And by the end of this day, he's going to be the second most powerful man in the world. That, that's the picture of the life of a believer, I think. Right? You have no idea what God is going to do with you uh, or through you today. You wake up, you just think it's another day, but you know, uh, God, he has, he has plans and he opens doors. You know, I've experienced that many times in my life where I just wake up and you know, another day and then God has something crazy he wants to do. You know, uh, last year I got an email completely out of the blue asking if I would consider talking to some guys about taking over a church in Truckee. You know, never, ever, ever, ever entered my mind. The next thing you know, here I am. And I'm so blessed. God, God does those things in our lives. But Joseph, he looks like a prisoner, right? He's dirty. He's got long hair. He's got this full beard. They got to get him cleaned up. The Egyptians used to shave their entire bodies. They'd shave all the hair off their bodies. When you see a drawing of an Egyptian and he has a full head of hair, uh, you know what? He's wearing a wig, right? They, they shaved their head. They shaved everything. I, I think it's kind of funny, you know, see these guys wearing wigs. Maybe that's where the term work wig came from, you know? You guys know work wig? Anyway, if Jessica's watching, she knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, so they, they clean him up, and, and a little before bringing him into Pharaoh, Joseph has probably never shaved before. He's a Jew. He's probably got a beard at least as long as the amount of time he's been in prison. You know, it's such a strange course of events here. Joseph is going to come into Pharaoh's court, and all his, all his magicians and all his wise guys are going to be there, right? Uh, you know, Potiphar is probably there somewhere in the crowd. And Joseph stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's sitting on his throne. And interestingly enough, this Pharaoh's unnamed. 
He's unnamed. We don't know who this Pharaoh is. We have 13 chapters on the life of Joseph, but this Pharaoh's forgotten into history, right? He came, he went, God wasn't impressed by him, right? It kind of gives us a glimpse of what's important to God. God's people are important to him. You and I are important to him, right? Verse 15 says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there's one who, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. So Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And we see Joseph's humility here, right? It's the result of the development of his character. Pharaoh is saying, I hear you can do this. I hear you can do that, etc." But Joseph says, no, it's not in me. It's the Lord. You know, again, this is such an important lesson for us as Christians, especially if you're serving in the church in some capacity. Joseph is not going to touch God's glory. Joseph gives all the glory to the Lord. And you know, a question that I ask myself often, and I'll ask you, is God's glory safe with you? Or will you be the one who gets his fingerprints all over his glory? And I believe God will use mightily those whom he can trust his glory to. Those who will not take his glory to themselves. God's not going to share his glory with anyone, the Bible says. Now, it seems here that Joseph has a sense, though, that, that the interpretation of the dreams will be favorable towards Pharaoh. That's why he says God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. In verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the seven, the fat cows. Ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I woke. Pharaoh says, you know, there were some really mean skinny cows. <laughs> they were so mean they ate up the healthy cows. And after they ate them, they didn't change in any way. You know, they were still mean skinny cows. Right? I've never seen anything like that in Egypt. And verse 22, also I saw in my dream and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads Heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph, with not much of a pause at all, it seems, he just shoots back an answer. You've had two dreams, but they're saying the same thing, Pharaoh. The seven good cows, verse 26, are seven years. You would never know that if God hadn't revealed it to you. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. 
the seven thin and ugly cows which came up from uh, up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Listen, Pharaoh, you may think you're a god, but the one true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he's going to show you now what he's going to do. Verse 29, indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it was very severe. He's saying that the famine will be so severe that no one will be able to remember how plentiful the previous seven years were. In verse 32, and the dream was repeat, uh, repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to, to about, bring it to pass. In the Bible, the number two is the number of witnesses, right? Remember in the law of Moses, all things were to be established by at least two witnesses. So God gave Pharaoh two dreams to testify uh, to him that this thing is established. It's going to happen, Pharaoh. You can bank on it. And I just wonder, you know, Joseph must have been thinking, remembering about the two dreams he had many years previously, at least 13 years previously. And I just wonder if, if Joseph is thinking of his dreams when he, when he says out loud, the dreams are repeated twice because the, things, the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Does that ever happen to you? You know, you get in, in a fight with your husband or your wife and afterwards you open your Bible up in your devotion time and you read, love suffers long as in, and is kind. And then you know what? You go to the grocery store, you head off to work, and you turn on a Christian radio. And the, the pastor, the preacher, he says, love suffers long and is kind. And you turn the radio off real quick. I don't know, you guys probably don't. I do. You know, God, God will do that for us. You know what? He'll confirm his word to us. You know, he's willing to let us know what's on his heart in regards to what we're going through, you know, and confirm the direction that we're to take. God is, God is about showing us his will through his word, through Bible studies, through other believers, speaking a word in faith, you know. Joseph says, God will shortly bring it to pass. The seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, they're coming your way for sure, Pharaoh. And Joseph is going now to give Pharaoh something that Pharaoh doesn't ask for, right? Pharaoh now knows there are seven years of plenty coming his way, followed by seven years of famine. But what's he supposed to do with that information? So Joseph interprets the dreams, which is a word of knowledge, it's a gift of the Spirit, a word of knowledge. God revealing to him something that he uh, otherwise would not have known. And now Joseph 
is going to give him a word of wisdom, right? God revealing to him what should be done in the situation. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select the discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now I don't think Joseph is, is suggesting himself here or offering uh, Pharaoh his CV. And I just happen to have my resume right here. And I don't think that's what's going on. Verse 34, he says, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Joseph is suggesting a 20% tax on the farmer's produce here, on the production, on the crops, right? And that would have been a, a pretty high tax. Prior to this, it was 10%. It would have been a pretty high tax, but no one is going to complain about it for two reasons. One, Pharaoh decrees it, right? Nobody dare speak against him. But the other reason is for seven years, there's going to be such abundance from the harvest that there'll be more than enough. They could probably give 30%. God is going to bless so much. They probably had more after the tax than they ever had, ever reaped in the years previously. It was going to be that great of a harvest. It was going to be that great of a harvest for the next seven years. In verse 35, it says, And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let, they keep, let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. He says, hey, bring the, bring the grain in uh, under the control of the government so that there can be a central control over the food supply for the nation during the second seven years, right? During the first years, bring it in. And then the second year, it will be a food supply. That way, the nation will survive. You know, when you're at a loss to know what to do, how valuable is it to hear exactly what you should do? Well, it's invaluable. And when you're a good leader, it doesn't matter what kind of leader you are, a, a, you know, a, a business owner or a team leader in a corporation. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you are. Leaders have a way of identifying good people and putting them to good use. And verse 37 says, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Pharaoh recognizes that Joseph's advice was better than anyone else had, right? And so do all the servants. You know, it wasn't like someone said, you know, Pharaoh, I think there's another way. How about? No, that's not the way it happened. They're, they all thought it was just great advice. Well, why? Because God gave it to Joseph. It was a word of wisdom. And verse 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh is saying, Here's a man that not only told us what's coming down the pipe, but he also told us how to prepare for it. So obviously, the Spirit of God is upon this man, is what Pharaoh says. 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
in as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne, I will be greater than you. Now this, this is, again, this is a strange day, isn't it? And Joseph, you know, he's, he's been through some strange days in his young life. He woke one day, went out to see his brothers, and in one day he was sold as a slave. You know, in one day he woke and was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and in one day he was thrown into prison. Now, in one day, he wakes up in prison, and then he's taken to stand before Pharaoh, and in one day, Joseph is promoted to be the second most powerful man in the world. I've said that phrase like three times. We've got to understand, that's exactly what it is. The second most powerful man in the world. How amazing is God? Yeah, he just works in the most amazing ways, unthinkable, unthinkable, unimaginable ways. What is it that you're going through? What are you going through tonight? Never forget God is at work. God is working, and one day everything can change. We can never lose sight of the fact that God has a plan for our life, and that plan is a good plan. He's working that plan. He has a plan. He's working his plan. We may not like the timing of it, but if we'll just surrender and let God work, you know what? We'll be amazed at what God will do in our lives. In all those years that Joseph asked why, in all those years that Joseph felt forgotten and forsaken, in all those years that Joseph might have thought, where's God in all this? God was working. And God is working and is preparing each one of us for things we could never imagine. That's the truth. That's the message of the Bible. That's what he's doing in the lives of those that trust in him. Verse 41, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine Potiphar going home, right, after this, saying to his wife, hey, you remember that young Hebrew guy that was working for me? Yeah, you mean the one that tried to rape me? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, you might want to make sure what you, what you said was true because he's been promoted to the place of second to Pharaoh, and tomorrow morning I report to my new boss. You know, I mean, just imagine a conversation around the dinner table that night, right? Verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. The signet ring was like Pharaoh's signature, right? You could dip it in some ink. You could stamp a document. And uh, with that mark made by the signet ring, right, it was as if Pharaoh himself stamped the document. So Joseph is being being given all the authority of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And not only that, but they clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. These garments are probably the same similar garments that Pharaoh would wear. You know, they, this fine linen, uh, you know, it was, it was something that was only made in that region. And it was, it was kind of like silk. Uh, I can only imagine it was made out of cotton from that region, but 
they, they, they made this fine linen, almost silky. And everyone that would see it would immediately recognize Joseph as a dignitary or a high-ranking official of the land. And the gold chain would be a symbol of Pharaoh's favor that was upon Joseph. This kind of thing would have been a big deal, very big deal in Egypt. Pharaoh didn't give his authority over land to just anyone. This is a big deal. And Pharaoh did this publicly. So it was a very, very big deal. Verse 43. And he had him ride in the second chariot with uh, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. So the people are bowing now before Joseph. In a day. This is just He wakes up in prison. He goes out in the afternoon. And people are bowing before him as he rides through town. I mean, Joseph... He probably had a license plate on his chariot that said number two. And, uh, you know, it's one thing, again, to have a private ceremony and receive an honor, but to do it publicly and tell the entire nation that Joseph is the man that you need to now bow to when he drives by. You know what? That's something entirely different. In verse 44, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man will lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Again, this is a public decree. Pharaoh tells everyone that Joseph has absolute power over the land, over every citizen, over every stranger in the land. I mean, you just, what can you say? But wow. In verse 45, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Penaniah. And he gave him as wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land. You know, he's been given a wife, even though she's a pagan wife. Pharaoh's honoring Joseph. I mean, the honors just keep coming, coming, coming. Joseph came to the land as a slave, a less than nobody. And now Pharaoh, he steps in and gives him a wife from one of the leading families of Egypt. In his limited view of things, in Pharaoh's limited view of things, he's doing something really good for Joseph. Pharaoh liked Joseph, and he really appreciated what he was doing for him, what he had done for him. Verse 46 Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And you might want to write down in your margin here, Genesis 37, 2, right? Because it's there that we're told that Joseph was sold into slavery at the age of 17. Now he's 30. It's been 13-year trial and preparation, right? Now understand, 13 sounds like an awful long time. But there had to have been a lot of character development that was necessary, that God had to work into his life. I mean, just imagine handing Egypt over uh, to someone with no character, right? I mean, he would waste his life with carousing and partying, uh, either that or he would become so 
prideful. He would just turn into this just terrible tyrant. He would destroy the nation. But God had prepared Joseph's character to handle this. And now Joseph is going to faithfully do what God has prepared and equipped him to do. And it says, And Joseph went out in the presence, went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the, the land of Egypt. Joseph's a hard worker. I mean, he doesn't waste any time. He gets right to work overseeing the storage program in the land of Egypt. And verse 47, Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly, just like uh, the Lord had said. So Joseph, so he gathered up all the food for the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surround them. So these cities, they were set aside for the purpose of storing grain. Verse 49, Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the seas until he stopped counting for it was innumerable. In the early years, they were counting the grain, but it got to be so great, you know, as time passed, they just like, just stopped counting. It was too much to count. You could hardly believe that there could be a famine that was coming that would deplete all of that grain, where you got to the place where you couldn't count it, to, to understand a famine that would, would come that would deplete everything that they had produced. But that's the way it was. Uh, look at Joseph's preparation for all this now. What if God had took him as a 17-year-old man from a Hebrew family in Canaan? I mean, he came from a family of shepherds. Nothing wrong with being a shepherd if you happen to be a shepherd. But that hardly prepares you to do what Joseph is doing now. But each step of the way, how important was it to be in Potiphar's house? Right? to be in prison and, and to learn administration of, of a facility like that, how to run that type of facility, how to run things the way Egyptians ran things, right? All the things that Joseph learned about the land, about the society, before God raised him up, how valuable would that be? God wasn't wasting any time by Joseph being in prison for 13 years. Again, he was at work. Joseph would need all the things that God used in his life prepare, to prepare him for this moment, for this task, this endeavor that he's now overseeing. All the training and preparation now Joseph sees as invaluable. Verse 50, and Joseph was, uh, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph came, uh, called the name of his firstborn uh, Manasseh, for God had made him forget all my, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. He names his first son Forget. He doesn't give him an Egyptian name. He gives him a Hebrew name. He gives both his boys Hebrew names. Joseph is not being absorbed by Egyptian culture, Egyptian society. He's, he's not abandoned. He has not abandoned his God or his Hebrew roots. Joseph, he has no Old Testament. 
Joseph has no New Testament. God has never appeared to him in the way that he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph, he has no midweek Bible study to go to. He's all alone in a pagan land, and he is now in charge of an entire nation, and that nation happens to be the biggest pagan empire in the world. And he's still able to find fellowship with the living God. I mean, to me, that just blows me away. And when he names his first son Manasseh, when he names him to forget, it's because at that point in time, he has made a decision to forget and to forgive all the injustices that have been done to him in the past. He uses the birth of his of his boys, of this boy in particular, to make a conscious decision not to look back to the past and think about what his brothers did to him, to think about what Potiphar's wife did to him, think about what the butler did to him. He's not going to do it. He is going to choose to forgive and forget and go forward. You know what? The reality is this. I mean, we're just human, right? No one can really forgive and forget, right? You know, no one can really truly forget about the hardships of the past. But we can choose not to dwell on it. We can't let them dictate how we're going to act or how we're going to feel in the present. Have you ever made a situation where someone has maybe wronged you? Have you ever made that situation better, right, by going back to it, by mulling it over in your mind, thinking about it constantly? You know, I never have. It doesn't happen. It never gets solved like that. You know what? We need to forget those things in the past. We need to forget those things that people have done to us. We need to forget those difficult situations the circumstances that we have endured, we need to forget those things and press forward. We need to get to the place where we say to others, as Joseph does, Lord, I want to give to you the hurtful events of the past. And I want to trust you to work those things together for my good. You know, I'm not going to go back there anymore. I'm not going to dwell on those things in the past. When you do that, when you trust the Lord to work all these things together for your good, Romans 8, 28, right? God works all things together for your good for those that love God and are called to his purposes. When you do that, the benefit of doing that is found in the next verse. Romans 8, 29 says that the benefit is that we will be conformed into the image of Christ. I mean, that's the greatest of riches any one of us can ever have in this life to be fashioned into the image of Christ. If we continue to dwell on the wrongs of the past, you know what? We'll be ripped off by the past because it never solves anything. It, it only makes us bitter. But it also rips us off because, you know, in the present because it stunts our growth, the growth that we desire to have occur in our lives. And 
you know what? It stunts the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. It rips us off from the future because it will keep us from the fellowship that we could have with the Lord. Forgiving others and forgetting the past is to our benefit. And verse 52, and the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Again, he calls his second son fruitful. What Joseph is saying is that he's making a conscious decision of putting his focus on the blessings that God has given him in the present. It's a blessing to walk with the Lord. You know that? That's the blessing we enjoy. It's a blessing to walk with the Lord. He bestows on each of us so many blessings when we walk with him. Uh, you know, uh, the Psalms say, say that he loads us daily, loads us down daily with blessings. And Joseph is saying, Lord, thank you so much for blessing me today for the fruitfulness of the life that I have with you, for how you've blessed me today. And that's jo uh, Joseph's focus. And we see this in his life. Imagine if you became the second most powerful person in the world. Where's that butler? <laughs> I'll teach him to forget about others. You know, you go looking for him, right? And when his brothers came before him, Joseph is able to deal with them in a very godly way because he's already given his past to the Lord. It's all in the Lord's hand. There's no need for him to exact any type of retribution or getting even with anyone. And verse 53 says, Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. The whole area was affected by the famine. It wasn't just Egypt. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and said to the Egyptians and the uh, and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. The first group that comes to Joseph for aid are the Egyptians. But the next verse we're going to read tells us that as that famine continued, people from all over the area, not just from Egypt, began to come for aid. Verse 57, So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was so severe in the land. <clears throat> One of the reasons... One of the reasons that Joseph's life, this account, is in the Bible is to encourage us. It's to encourage you. God is going to bring to pass the visions that God has given you for life. He is going to bring it to pass. But there's preparation before presentation. God will prepare us for those things which he's called us to do. And honestly, I'm so thankful for that. Real quick, in closing, we want to continue to look at Joseph's life as a type or as a picture of Jesus, the Messiah. So let's start reading at um, verse 15. It says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand dreams to interpret it. 
So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so Pharaoh goes on to tell Joseph this dream. And in verse 28, it says, This is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. So too, you look at the life of Jesus Christ and you see uh, that he came to show us what will shortly take place, right? Joseph came to Pharaoh and was able to show him these things which would shortly come to pass. And that's how the book of Revelation begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealing to his servants those things which must shortly take place. So Joseph speaking these words to Pharaoh is a picture of Jesus revealing the things to his servants which will shortly take place. And then verse 29, we read, Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come through out all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, because it was so severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food uh, shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Again, it's another picture of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus was a man in whom the Holy Spirit dwelt. When you, we, when you come to the New Testament, you see the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form. And as you understand the Trinity or the triunity of God, the Spirit was in Jesus actually to the fullest extent. And verse 39 says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, this is, uh, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. And again, here's another picture of Jesus. He is over the house of God and his people are ruled by his word. In the New Testament, we see the church is called the house of God. And Pharaoh goes on and says, only regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father now. All authority has been given over to him. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And 1 Corinthians 15, 27, for he, God the Father, has put all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus. But when he says all things are put under, his, under him, it is evident that he 
uh, will not put all, or it is evident that he who put all things under him is, ex, is ex, accepted. Yeah, an exception. Okay? Sometimes I have problems with words. But uh, yeah, you know what? Jesus is, is second to the Father. God the Father is greater. All things are, have been given to him by the Father. In verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took a signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, uh, linen and put a gold chain ar around his neck. The signet ring, again, spoke of authority. And uh, we just saw that Jesus, uh, God the Father, had given all authority over all things to Jesus, just as Pharaoh gave Joseph all authority over his kingdom. And the gold chain spoke of royalty. And that's who Jesus is. He's royalty, right? He's Lord of lords and King of kings. Revelation 17, 14. You find that in uh, 1 Timothy 6 also. Um, verse 43. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. This is the next picture. It's a picture of Jesus now exalted. Joseph was, was moved from the dungeon to the place of second in command to Pharaoh. And who is Jesus? He's the second person of the Trinity. Now before Joseph, who's now second to Pharaoh, every knee was to bow. And boy, it reminds us of... Uh, of uh, Philippians 2, verse 8 through 11. And we read that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And verse 44, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Zaphnath Paniah in Hebrew translates to revealer of mysteries or interpreter of mysteries. Zaphnath Paniah in Egyptian language means one who preserves all things, preserves life, also means the savior of the world. And both are true actually of Joseph, right? And that is who Jesus is. He came from the father to refill the father to us. John 1.16 says, no one has seen a God at any time, the only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father. He has declared him. And the Greek word there uh, translated declare is the word where we get the word exegesis which means to explain or to interpret. 
Jesus has come to reveal the Father to us, to reveal the secrets of God to us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. John 3, 16, of course, everybody knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3, 17 tells us that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Another thing we see there in verse 45 is it says, and he, Pharaoh, gave him, Joseph, as a wife, Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So here we see Joseph, he gets a Gentile bride. You know, it's a picture of the Messiah who's been given a Gentile bride. And when was Joseph given this Gentile bride? It was when he was rejected by his brothers. It was only because of his brother's rejection of him that he was put in a position to receive a Gentile bride. So too, as Jesus was rejected by his brothers, the Jews, the gospel went out to the Gentiles and a Gentile bride had been formed as a church. The church is largely Gentile in nature. We're the Gentile bride of Christ. It's all just one brushstroke after another of this uh, amazing portrait of Jesus the Messiah here in the Old Testament. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land. Joseph was 30 years old when he began his public ministry under Pharaoh. Does that sound the least bit familiar? Yeah. Luke 3.23 says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age. That's how old he was when he began his public ministry. In verse 47, Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields that surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the seas until he stopped counting, for it was innumerable or immeasurable is what it says. Here we see Joseph with limitless resources at his fingertips. Again, it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has limitless resources to address our needs. Jesus is able to provide for all of your needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's our Savior. You know, and I just pray that, you know, that you're able to grab hold of that tonight. Our God has limitless resources to bring to bear in my situation in your situation, in our situation. That's our God. That's our Savior. Verse 53, Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine be, began to come, as Joseph had said. And the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So all the land of Egypt was famished, and people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. 
Again, it's a beautiful picture here of, of Jesus. When the famished sinner comes to God looking for help, looking for life, right? What does God the Father say? Go to Jesus, right? For there is no other name under heaven given among men where we must be saved. You have to go to Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Just, just as Pharaoh says, go to Joseph, do whatever he says, right? Do what, uh, whatever he says, do. And doesn't that sound familiar? It happens to be exactly what God the Father said, right? The voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Whatever he says, do. And those are actually the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible. John 2, they came to Mary when they ran out of wine there at the wedding at Cana. And she pointed the servants to Jesus and said, whatever he says to you, do it. John 2, verse 5. Verse 56, and the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was so severe in all lands. What do we see here? All the countries of the world come to Joseph, the savior of the world who provides for them uh, life-giving grain. And again, a picture of Jesus, right? Jesus is a savior of the world who provides bread. He's the bread of life. And whoever comes to him, whoever partakes of him, has everlasting life. He provides life. This picture of Jesus and Joseph's life is not done. It continues on as we study through um, Joseph's life. It's the most incredible picture in the Old Testament of Jesus, right here in Joseph's life, right here in the pages of God's word where we've been studying. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You know, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, won't you come to him today? Ask him to radically change your life. He'll do it. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He'll do it. There is no salvation in any other name. You know, if you ask him, to give you life, to give you eternal life. He'll do it. And all you need to do is you need to turn from your sins. You know, repentance just means changing your mind, changing directions. You're heading this way, you change your mind, you head that way. Turn from your sins and turn towards God. And then he'll cleanse you of your sins because that's an evidence of the sincerity of my heart and asking God to forgive me. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean your troubles are going to be over. You know, that's not the case at all. Christians have troubles too. But what it does mean is that you'll go to heaven, you'll live with him forever. You know, there are problems in the world. There are hard times in the, in the world for believer and non-believer. But as believers, you know, we have someone with limitless resources to run to that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Boy, if you're not a believer today, I would encourage you, would you just ask him to come into your life, 
Confess, which just means to agree with them, to confess that you're a sinner. Tell them you're sorry for your sins, that you want to turn your life around, and apart from him, that's impossible. Ask him to come into your life, cleanse you, and make you a new creation. And if you'll pray that prayer, he'll honor that prayer, and he'll make you a new creation, cleanse you from your sins, give you a clean slate, and a, and a new life ahead of you. Let's pray. Father God, I'm just thankful for your word. I, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. It's so informative. It's so encouraging. Lord, I just pray that your word would wash over us, Lord, and your word would accomplish those things that you sent it out for, Lord, those things that you recorded it for, those things in our lives individually, those things in our marriage, in our family, those things in our church body, Lord. Have your way with us. Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.